right off the bat, uh, I want to remind us that this is not particularly a Bible teaching on love. This is called meditations on love. Okay, that means uh, when I when I take this passage, the same passage that you guys are reading, I, when I take this passage, I'm not looking at a commentary. I'm not listening to three or four sermons about it. I'm not reading up articles that are written about it. I'm simply taking that scripture and just reading it for my own self, for my own sake. You know, I'm not reading it to teach it to you guys. I'm reading it for me. And I want you to read it for you. And there are times where I'm so tempted when I read through it one time and two times and I'm like, okay, Lord, I kind of get what you're trying to say. Uh, can I read up so, some commentaries for, for some deeper revelation and, and uh, the context and the insight and, and all that? Um, I stop myself from doing that and I go, let me at least read it 10 times through first. Just, just reading it. Because meditation, that's what it is about. Conforming our minds to the Word of God, to the pure, unadulterated, unbridged version, just the, the, the pure Word of God. Read it, consume it, consume it, eat it. Um, and then let the Holy Spirit uh, set it aflame, you know, set it on fire. Uh, one of the... Uh, preachers put it in, in a very powerful way. He said, um, it, it's, it's like Elijah or Mark Mount uh, Carmel. He builds the altar, right? And he puts the fattened calf on it and he, he, he douses it with water and all of that. And he does all the necessary stuff, okay? And it takes a lot of effort to do that. It, he does all the necessary stuff and he calls upon the Lord. And the Lord comes down like fire that consumes the offering. And so it's the same way when we do um, uh, Bible study in that sense. When we do a meditation on His Word, we, we take time, we take the effort to open out our journals, open out our Bible, and just kind of read it, read it, read it, read it. That's building the altar. And then as we're reading it, we're trusting for the fire of the Holy Spirit to come and ignite what we are reading and let it burn in our hearts. So that's what we are doing. Okay. So right off the bat, I, I want to say this is not a Bible teaching. Uh, I don't want you to just be concentrating on like taking notes so that you can reteach it in your cell group or something like that. No, no. Let the Lord speak to your heart. And some of you, I know you have very busy week weeks, uh, you know, and um, very busy days in your week, and you haven't had time. To meditate on it. It's okay. Um, as I'm speaking, as I'm teaching, open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Okay. And uh, after the whole session, take time, meditate on it. Let the Holy Spirit speak more to you. And then you can rewatch uh, the YouTube version of it. Okay. So um, we're going to jump into Isaiah 62. And I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 5. Okay, The last week, we touched a little bit on verse 5, on the emotions of God. We want to be students of God's emotions, God's affections. Okay, So we are, we're, we're studying um, the, on, on the bride of Christ, the topic of the bride of Christ in this, in this season. We're studying on the topic of the bride of Christ but we want to understand 
his emotions towards us as a bridegroom and our responding emotions to him as the bride. Okay, so Isaiah 62 verse 1 to 5, uh, Isaiah cries out, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Verse 2, the nations shall see your, your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Verse 4, you shall no longer be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Okay. Uh, let's pray. As we begin. Father, we come humbly before you, God of the Word. We humble our hearts before you. And we come not as teachers of your Word, not as experts. but as students, as receivers, as consumers of your word. We want to consume your word. We want to eat of you, Lord. We want to eat of you. We want it to be nourishment to our spirit. We want it to, to delight our hearts. We want it to fascinate us and draw us to seek your face. We want your word to be beautiful in our eyes. And so, Lord, even as we take the time to read your word, meditate on it, study it, discuss it, talk about it, pray over it, sing over it, cry over it, God, I pray, ignite our hearts, Father, by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I've just, uh, my family has just come back from Thailand and we were in Bangkok uh, attending a missions conference and uh, I was just sharing with Andrew and uh, Elsie about how uh, while we, we've never heard a lot of the stories because they are not reported on the news uh, about the persecutions that are going on uh, in the different nations in Asia. And um Different uh during the three days of conference, different nations, uh, different pastors, leaders, missionaries came up and shared their stories. Uh, uh, one of the pastors, uh, before he 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 as he was scheduled to come for the conference, uh, he was actually uh caught and uh executed, and leaving behind his wife and uh eight of his children, 
um, and we hear stories like this, you know, we we hear stories of uh, the pastors, the local pastors, missionaries uh, needing to smuggle Bibles uh, into some of the countries still, uh, and uh, some doing underground churches and and some uh, planting Bible schools and and different things like that. Um, And one of the key themes that um, really hit my heart is that everyone is doing different things as the Lord calls them. I remember there's this one guy, his entire ministry is all about smuggling Bibles. He has a hundred stories about the different ways in which he smuggled Bibles into that into that country to supply Bibles to the Bible society in that country that was lacking Bibles. <laughs> and, um, um, you know, we they, they all are called to do different things uh, and different ways. But one of the key things that they have been doing that is weighing on their hearts is they are friends of the bride. They are preparing the bride. They are friends of the bride. They are friends of the bridegroom. And they are preparing the bride. They are preparing the bride to meet him. Whether it's supplying Bibles, whether it's discipleship, uh, or, or even just, just feeding the poor and all of that. They are preparing the bride for the bridegroom. And so it is uh, when we are doing this Bible study, that's the same thing. We're preparing ourselves. We are preparing the bride. And to those whom you are discipling, you are preparing the bride to meet with the bridegroom. Okay? So today, uh, even as we are looking at this passage, this prophetic passage, uh, Isaiah 62 is recorded. Uh, the context of it is is recorded post-exile. Mm-hmm. That means 70 years prior to this, Babylon had invaded uh, Judah, destroyed the temple, destroyed the cities, destroyed the walls, and all that. So they are still fresh from the devastation of the conquest. Okay, so there's still a, a deep sense of loss, kind of the uh, sense of hopelessness because of the desolation. Mm-hmm. Um, as the returning remnants, they see their nation, their homes, um, their temples in ruins. Uh, that's kind of the atmosphere that's happening. So in this setting, in this setting, Isaiah the prophet, he catches the heart of God. And he's, this is not a message. Um, this is not a, 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 a particular message that is from God to the people. This is actually a cry from Isaiah catching the heart of God and responding to I to Israel's despair. Okay? So that's why, that's why in verse 1, you can see him cry out. This is Isaiah, him carrying God's heart and crying out, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. Okay? It's not God will not keep silent. Isaiah says, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. You can, you can feel the emotions 
of uh, Isaiah being part of Israel, part of Israel. He's part of Israel. This is his people, right? And so he carries the heart of God. He carries and he conveys the emotions of the bridegroom God to the people. When we read this passage, it's a very emotive passage. It's full of emotions. It's kind of mixed with the emotions of God and also mixed in with uh, Isaiah's own emotions that kind of come uh, hand in hand. It aligns. Okay. So uh, a word to the prophetic community among us. It's important. You, you see this example. It's important not just to, to pass on God's message to his people. You're not a mailman. <laughs> Okay, you're not a mailman for God. But the idea is when, when you want to share a prophetic word, catch God's heart, catch the bridegroom's, bridegroom king's heart for his bride first. Catch his heart, catch his love, catch his forgiveness, catch his heart of redemption. Catch all God's emotions first for that person before you share. Okay, you will discover, you will share it in a lot of love, in a lot of patience. And, and I've made this mistake many times when I just try to kind of shut off my emotions and share the word as it is. Um, it does not work. It does not work. It, in fact, it often just kind of offends someone rather than um, uh you're delivering it in a way that the person receives it well, okay? And Isaiah is, he's persistent. He's persistent in not allowing despair, hopelessness to kind of have the last word in the people's lives, no matter how devastating it is. So for those who are in the mission field, especially in third world countries, I know it's easy sometimes when we hear how devastating someone's life is. I know it's easy for us sometimes to go, oh my goodness, like, I don't know how you're ever, ever going to pull yourself out of this mess. It's like, we've never been in such, such Murray clay before. You know, so sometimes it's hard for us to imagine, but we we must refuse, we must be persistent, we must refuse to allow despair, hopelessness to have the last word in their lives. Yeah. You must call out the God of hope. So this passage right here is Isaiah looking at devastation all around, the atmosphere of loss, the atmosphere of hopelessness, and crying out. I will not be silent. I will not be quiet about this until we become a, a light of righteousness will shine forth. The glory will shine forth. So this is him. This is Isaiah seeing who God has called um, Israel, what God has called Jerusalem to be. And you know, this, uh, just reading this passage, it, it, it kind of brings to mind two stories. And uh, one is Jesus coming to the adulterous woman, right? 
the adulterous woman, uh, the woman that was caught in adultery, that was probably naked, humiliated, and all that. That's that 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 kind of gives the picture of how Israel is like at this point. His uh, Israel is stripped naked, is humiliated among the nations, you know, being conquered by Babylon and all of that. Um, Israel is in that place. Now imagine the story when Jesus comes to the woman caught in adultery. What is his? What is he thinking? What is he feeling in his heart when Jesus, the bridegroom king, is looking at this naked, humiliated woman caught in sin, accused by everyone, completely destroyed internally, um, and thinking, this is, this is my bride. This, this one is part of my bride whom I love from all eternity past and whom I redeem. The second story that comes to mind is the Samaritan woman uh, at the well whom Jesus, you know, makes a big detour just to meet up with her. She's an outsider. She's an outcast. In fact, she's being a Samaritan, she's already outcast, but being, you know, a, a social reject, she's outcast of the outcast, right? And the and, and Jesus will meet with her, talk to her, minister to her. Jesus, you know, usually ministers to crowds and crowds of people. There are few instances where instead of a crowd, he draws himself away and goes and meets with one woman <laughs> few instances but that's the specific love of god you know sometimes i go to a a, a meeting and there's a, a a prophetic person on stage you know and uh, out of the 1000 plus people that are there you know he calls out one person and uh and he speaks and he ministers to that one person and and he speaks hope, joy, and all that to that one person. And he spends the next 20 minutes on that one person. And I'm like, oh, you have you have like 40 minutes for your sermon. And you just spend 20 minutes on one person prophesying with one person. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to me. But oh, it makes so much sense to that one person. Because that probably is the greatest breakthrough. This is probably the, the defining point in that person's life. And it kind of, kind of, it, it's kind of God's way, you know? <laughs> like, like, he just calls out that one and ministers to that one. He has time for the crowd, but he has time for that one. And, um, and, 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 and once again, I'm, I'm thinking of these two, two stories and I'm thinking of us because we, 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 we were once outcasts from God's family, from God's kingdom family. We were once adulterous, worshipping the things of the world and even now our, our hearts wander off so easily. Can you imagine what is, 
what is Jesus's emotions toward us when he found us? When he first found us? When we first found us in, in such disarray, in, in such confusion, in lostness, and you know, when he found us, when Jesus found us, you know, he looks at he looks at you, he looks at me, and he says, This is my bride. This is part of my bride. This one, this little one right here, this little broken one. This little angry one, this little resentful one, this one is part of my bride. I redeem her, I forgive her, I restore her, I will help her see her worth, her value, her identity, and who she is to me. So Isaiah, in this passage, he catches the emotions of the bridegroom king for Israel. Of course, we know this is a prophetic word for Israel, but ultimately, it is also for the church, the body of Christ, the global body of Christ, made up of Jews, of Gentiles, Gentiles meaning the non-Jews, the Asians, the, the, our, our believers, our, our brothers and sisters in Myanmar, in Sri Lanka, in Bangladesh, in Laos, in Thailand, in Vietnam, in Japan, in, in Norway, in all of these countries. And, and this is a prophetic word for the body of Christ in all of these nations. Mm. And so Isaiah is looking at Israel in its, you know, desolated state. And sometimes we look at our church we look at the global church and we see it in some of its desolated stage, uh, stages, right? There are, there are parts of the body that are on fire for the Lord, sold out completely, abandoned and, you know, totally following. But there's also a part of the bride that is lukewarm, that is spiritually blind and, and, and not following their Savior, their Lord, you know? And um and and Isaiah declares hope. This is what you shall be. This is what you shall be. This is what you shall be because this is what the Lord intends for you, Israel. This is what the Lord intends for you, Church, Body of Christ, Bride of Christ. Okay. So we're going to see uh, three things that he mentions, okay? In uh, verse 2, he says, The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name and the mouth of the Lord, the mouth that the mouth of the Lord will give. So first thing is the nations shall see your righteousness. How shall they see? How shall the world, how shall the nation see the righteousness of the church? In the last days, more and more, the Lord will put the church on center stage. Jesus says, I, uh, a city that is set on a hill 
cannot be hidden. Who is the builder of that city? God is. Where did he choose to put it? He chose to put that city on a hill where it's evident to all. So what will the people see? They will see righteousness. They will see the righteousness of Christ. They will see them clothed with the righteousness of Christ and they will see the righteous deeds of the saints. Right? We talked about that in Revelation. Okay? The righteousness of Christ and the righteous deeds of the saints. So, because we are not, we are, when we are on, you know, we are on display. We are on display, but we are not ornamental. We're not ornaments. Ornaments are pointless. They're just decorative, right? We are glorious. We are substantial and we are powerful. So I want you to know that every righteous decision you make, whether it's secret, hidden, your left hand does not know from your right. Your right hand does not know from your left. I want you to know every righteous decision that you make, whether people see it or not, is significant and is powerfully evident in the end times. Because the Bible says your righteousness shall shine forth brightly. It shall shine forth. Verse 1, her, brightness, her righteousness goes forth as brightness and salvation as a burning torch. Your salvation, your salvation, your redemption out of you know, all the mess that you have been in your life, basically God's rescuing of you, your testimony, your life testimony of how God heal you, restore you, you know, uh, struggle with you, your wrestling with God in your in your restoration process, in your in in, in your um debating with God, arguing with God, finally submitting to Him, and then running away and coming back to Him again. You know, your salvation <laughs> is a burning torch. Not just your righteous deeds, not just your righteous lifestyle, not just your righteous choices, but also God's righteous work in you, God's merciful work in you, that will be a torch, a burning torch. And it is, it is, right? We know it. When you share your testimony, it is a burning torch. What is a burning torch? Burning torch basically gives light, gives warmth. People are attracted to it. When you're holding a burning torch, people's eyes immediately go to it. They're drawn to it. That's our testimony. Okay? So the nations will see your righteousness. And then the next part, the leaders, the kings of the world, basically the leaders of the world, Okay, the kings of the world, not just the presidents and, and all that, but the leaders of every sphere of society, of uh, every industry that you are in, whether the managers, the CEOs, the all that, the leaders of the world will see your glory. Now, what is your glory? <laughs> what is the glory of the bride? 
that the leaders of the world will see. Second, Second Corinthians 3.18, uh, in the NLT version, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. ESV uh, puts it like this, and, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, beholding, looking to Him, gazing upon Him, staring at Him, fixing our gaze on Him, are being transformed into the same image from one degree, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love when he says this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, because it reminds me immediately of the fruit of the Spirit. It's like when you look to Christ, when you look to his glory, you're being transformed to be more and more like him. What is more and more like him? More and more like him is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's more and more like Jesus, which is the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of looking, beholding Him. Transformation is a fruit. Transformation is a fruit. Not a fruit of you psychoing yourself to be good, the fruit of beholding Him. What does beholding him look like? It can be beholding him in his word. It can be beholding him in worship. It can be beholding him in prayer. It can be beholding him speaking in tongues. It can, it can be beholding him in a, a whole kind, all kinds of ways um, because you, you are designed. Every part of you is designed to behold him. You are created, designed by God to behold Him. So sometimes, you know, people say, oh, I find it so hard to hear from God. I find it so hard to focus on Him, to look to Him. I want you to know this. Every, all the difficulty you are facing is not because you are not designed to do that. It's because you have hindrances from the world you have hindrances, anxieties, worries, and all that, you know, jumbling thoughts and all that in your mind that are hindrances. But by design, who you're created to be, every part of you cries out for him and is poised to connect with him, look to him, fellowship with him, have communion with him. This is your original, original beautiful, glorious design. So what is the glory? The glory of the bride is her likeness to Christ, her bridegroom. Mm. Okay? The glory of the bride is her likeness to Christ. So, the, so we, we see this. The leaders of the world, the kings of the world, they will see your glory. They will look at you and they will see your likeness to Christ they will see a semblance of your bridegroom through your life, through your words, through your deeds, 
through who you are, through just your presence even. Because you host the presence of God. You're, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when they, when they come close to you, when they look at you, they see the glory of this bridegroom king because you are transformed more and more into his likeness. And the third part says she receives a new name. New name means a new identity. What is that new name? So the old name is forsaken. In uh, the Jewish culture, the Jewish men are the breadwinners. Women are in that culture are dependent on men for provision. Okay. And so when you are forsaken by your husband, you are um, immediately the, the consequence, the result is desolate. Desolation. That means you are poor, you are needy, you have you need you need a shelter over your head, you need you need bread, you need all of that. Okay, you're poor. Now, instead of forsaken, the new name is my delight is in her. Immediately, God reveals, God does not hide his emotions. God does not leave you guessing how he feels toward you. Now, there are some of you here, you've been struggling in your heart. Like, oh, I, I don't know, sometimes I feel like he hates me. Sometimes he, he's, I feel like he's disappointed with me. You know, God is so mysterious. We cannot really know his, 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 his thoughts toward us. They are higher than our thoughts. No, no, God makes it very clear. <laughs> yes, he, he is eternal. He is infinite. We cannot um, think exactly like him, but he is very clear in communicating with us his emotions toward us, the bride of Christ, the church. He says, my delight is in her. And as a result of my delight being in her is the word married. I will marry you. I will marry you. Because my delight is in you, I will marry you. And it's important for us to kind of know that. Because, um, you know, sometimes we go through a lot of emotional healing uh, from our brokenness and all that. But, but there are times where we just also need a mindset change. Because we need to be transformed in our, in our emotions. Yes, we need that healing in our emotions. But we also need to conform our mind to His Word concerning our, concerning our identity, concerning who we are. So we cannot remain in a victim mentality. We are loved. He is delighted with us. Mm. You speak that to yourself. That God rejoices over me as a bridegroom rejoices over a bride. God, you rejoice over me. You rejoice over me. He is delighted. He is desiring. He is longing to enter into an eternal marriage covenant with us. You know, the marriage covenant on the earth is till death do us part. It lasts till death. 
But the marriage supper of the Lamb, the, mar- the, the marriage covenant that God has with this church does not last 80 years, does not last 100 years. It lasts billions, 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 trillions, <laughs> you know, for all eternity. That's how long he wants to stay married to us. So he is sure of his emotions towards it. I know, you know, some, some of you are thinking like, man, if I get married to my wife for like, you know, 100 years, 5,000 years, I don't know. You know? But God is so sure of his love toward us, his delight over us. He says, I want to enter into an eternal marriage covenant with us. You are loved. You are cherished. You have great value because the one who created you, loves you, laid down his life to redeem you from the slave traders. So what's the result of one, two, and three? What's the result of a bride who is shining brightly with righteousness, who is glorious with Christ-likeness, who has a new name, a new identity, who is sure, secure in who she is. Verse 3 tells us, beautiful royalty. That's the result. That is the bride of Christ. Beautiful royalty. We we touch on the topic of beauty, and uh, and this this uh, session I just want to focus on the beauty of the bride. Uh, but next session I I want to talk a little bit about the beauty of our our bridegroom. We all know beauty of the bride. Uh, the the beauty in the eyes of the Lord, and in in the eyes of uh the wise and discerning people. Uh, it pertains to, to not just outer beauty, but, but inner beauty, right? What is inner beauty? If we just look at this passage, what is inner beauty? When a man finds a woman who is righteous, who walks righteously, When a man finds a woman who is Christ-like, that's glorious. When a man finds a woman who is so secure in her identity, knowing her value, knowing who she is, wow, that man better hold on on to this, this girl. And in the same way, when a woman finds a man who is walking in righteousness, who is gloriously Christ-like, who is secure in who he is and doesn't need all his achievements and trophies to prove who he is. Oh man, that man is beautiful. (laughs) And the thing about beauty is this. Um, Beauty... It invokes a deep emotional response within you. 
and uh, Elsie and I would uh, Elsie was talking about art. We we're talking about art, <laughs> and she went to a museum, sat there, and cried before. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, music does the same thing for Andrew <laughs> because there's something about beauty uh, uh, um, it, it seems in our mind it seems actually it seems very frivolous when, when we talk about beauty um, but actually God is beautiful and beauty, beauty is a uh, 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 a huge, huge element in our lives and our society. Actually, yeah. When you are really, really stressed out in a day, what do you do? You, you play your favorite song. You know, you play your favorite melody, your favorite instrumental song, or or worship song. And immediately it calms down your anxiety, kind of lifts up your spirit, clears your mind. You know? And for some of you, you go to the beach, you look at the ocean, you look at the beauty of God's creation, and it helps you clear your mind. Some of you take a, a walk through the park. You, you, when you are immersed in beauty, it does something within you. And so a beautiful person awakens your love. It draws your attention. It draws your attraction. And what about a bride who is beautiful? What, it, what does it do to God? <laughs> what, what about a bride who is righteous, glorious, secure in identity, Christ-like, what does it do to God? <laughs> and in the same way, when we look at God, what does it do to us? Because He's ultimate beauty. Right? We'll talk more about that next session. But I want you to catch in this passage, I want you to catch um, his, his emotions toward you. you. You can tell it builds up all through. And then right to the last line, as a bridegroom rejoices over her bride. Wow, this bride is beautiful. She's, she's glorious. She's Christ-like. She is righteous. She is secure. Your bridegroom king, your God rejoices over you. We come back to the context again. Isaiah. Can you imagine Isaiah standing upon the, the broken walls of Israel, looking around, seeing the temple in completely flattened all the things, all the precious gold and all that, all stolen away. He sees the walls of Israel completely broken down, people feeling lost, lost. In, they, they, they have hopelessness and, and all that in their eyes. 
And I want you to picture this. Picture Isaiah standing on the broken walls and the remnant coming. They are poor. They are struggling. And they are gathering around him. And he's shouting out these words. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. And then he declares, verse 2, the, the nations shall see your righteousness. And everyone goes like, what? And all the kings, your glory. Like, what? We are an oppressed people. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You, you shall be a crown. Crown talks about king. Crown, crown gives the idea of King Solomon, of David in the golden era. You know, and, and he's saying, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. And to the, to the people who feel forsaken by God all these years, especially to the older ones who have seen, who have, who have seen, who have uh, been around um, the, the, the temple that Solomon built and seeing where it is now. He says to them, you shall no more be termed forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate. You shall be called, my delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married. I can imagine. <laughs> it's like, it's like altar call, you know, in, in a church. And someone comes so broken and feeling so lousy. And the, the 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 minister or the prayer minister or whatever is praying for this person and say, you are not forsaken. You are not desolate. God delights in you. Your God rejoices over you. Your God loves you. Your God wants to marry you for all eternity to be in this covenant with you. For all eternity. Wow. When I read this passage, I I think Isaiah must be crying, like really sobbing, weeping when he's shouting this word out to to a people that is broken. And I pray that he will give us the same heart, that prophetic spirit that is the testimony of Jesus, that testifies of Jesus' heart for his people. Lord, we, we bring ourselves before you, God. And many of us, we are caught in 
one way or another to be in missions or to disciple people or minister to others or and all of that and and so a lot of times we identify ourselves as friends of the bridegroom preparing the bride and so i i pray i pray god that you help us to catch your heart to be a student of your emotions to be a student of your affection of your deep love of your deep unsearchable love so that when we disciple when we teach preach when we um walk with others when we serve others we serve them with the heart of Jesus Lord we realize that by our own strength our own wisdom our own will we are not able to become a beautiful bride but you call us to behold you because there's a transformation work that you're doing in us and through us by your spirit and so we ask give us grace help us to stay faithful to stay steadfast in beholding you every moment of our day from the mo- from from the point where we wake up where we open our eyes to acknowledge that God you are with us and to behold you and thank you for our day to enter your courts with thanksgiving and i pray that throughout our day father help us to acknowledge your presence with us help us to see with our spiritual eyes with our eyes of faith and not with our own eyes help us to trust you help us to read your word god and let your holy spirit set it aflame for you for our for our hearts father so lord we thank you I give you praise in jesus name amen